The series between the San Diego Padres and Los Angeles Dodgers may not be over yet, but still, we got a whole roller coaster back and forth series from this weekend to recap, including Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr. being mic'd up, Joe Kelly being a coward, Blake Snell performing well again, and the biggest comeback of the season, and the Joe Musgrove injury we gotta talk about. Oh yeah, we got a lot to talk about, guys. Let's get to it! You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You can follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, that's J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, if you'd like to see me tweet about whatever I tweet about on there, or at LO underscore Padres, where you get a bunch of memes, updates, and occasionally some stats. Maybe I need to put more effort into that lately. Haven't been doing that as much. It's a little hard, but we'll be going over that as well. You can also check out the YouTube, Lockdown Padres on YouTube, where we passed 1,000 subscribers recently, and I'm starting to wear different shirts more on each show to give you something to look forward to. I don't know. People like to listen to podcasts on YouTube sometimes, so go check that out, guys. Today's episode is going to be a a pretty chunky one, so I'm not going to waste too much time. We're recapping the three games that happened this weekend between the Padres and the Dodgers in a, I don't want to say a must-win series, because the Padres are still going to be playing the Dodgers a few more times, but a a pretty big series, um, especially since one of the games was on national TV. Uh, That's the one that we're going to recap first, yesterday's game. Um, And just a lot lot happened, I think, this weekend. I think that it was actually a pretty substantive series um, in a lot of ways and is a reminder of what the Padres are capable of and also a reminder of what the Padres most often are. And such was the case in last night's game, nationally televised on ESPN, the second time I believe they've been nationally televised against the Dodgers, and they get their butts whooped. And one of the reasons is because um, Rich Hill had to start this game. Uh, he goes three innings, gives up six earned runs on four hits, walks one, strikes out four. Uh, basically all the damage in this game done within the first two innings by the Dodgers. Um, Freddie Freeman is the one who hits the big one, of course. The guy who is, you know, competing very heavily with Ronald Acuna Jr., which is actually pretty funny considering the, those two history, the history those two have and the kind of like the, the weird unwritten rules that Freddie Freeman tried to enforce on him. Uh, it's pretty like weird and like I don't even know if poetic's definitely not the right word but uh pretty weird that uh it's between those two it looks like for the National League MVP absent something crazy happening with another player that I haven't thought of but uh Freddie Freeman hitting a three-run shot in this one that made it six nothing um also Ahmed Rosario in the first inning homered two-run homer he has like eight RBIs and nine games for the Dodgers he's been on fire it's classic Dodgers um, they just bring in some guy that they see something and then they get him for nothing and then they hope that he can actually produce on top of the big moves they make. They also are pretty good at those smaller moves, I guess. And so far this weekend, it doesn't seem like the smaller moves have paid off fully for the Padres. Um, not totally. Uh, they did get a nice appearance from Scott Barlow in the previous series. But other than that, uh, G-Man Choi, not a great weekend for him. Uh, doesn't really do much. He's hitting 190 with the Padres so far, which granted, again, it's like three games that he's played, so don't look into the 190 all that much. Um, but only gets, let's see, does he get does he get a hit this weekend? No, he doesn't get a hit. He does draw two walks, 
um, in the first game against the Dodgers. But other than that, not the greatest showing from G-Man Choi. But it's okay. He just got there. And as Don Arcillo so beautifully called him, G-Money, <laughs> on Friday, Friday's game. Uh, ah, gosh. It, it really is comforting to know that no matter what happens, we have Don and Mud uh, just talking over the games. Uh, him calling him G-Money was the highlight, personally, of the weekend for me. Um, outside of the actual game, just in general in life. Don calling him G-Money was hilarious. Um, but yeah, in this game, the Padres scored two runs, and they come from the two most unlikely sources, uh, you would think. I think one of them is actually starting to become a likely source, and that's Gary Sanchez, St. Gary, who has been excellent. I talked about this last week, that he the reason why he was on waivers and the reason why no one wanted him is because he made a lot of mistakes behind the plate, especially in New York, and his bat had declined as such that, yeah, he was probably a little bit better above average, but it didn't make up for the fact that he would have a lot of passed balls, he wouldn't be a good pitch framer, all that stuff. And, you know, he's actually been pretty fantastic for the Padres, and I get why, you know, I was one of those people, who, I wasn't critical of the move in the sense that I thought it was awful that they did it. I was just worried about what kind of sign that is, the fact that the Padres have to go out and take a chance on this guy who's been really kind of dreadful in a lot of ways behind the plate as a catcher because of how bad their catching situation was. I was fully in support of playing him over Austin Nola, who's now probably never going to see the field for the Padres again at this rate, right? I'm barring an injury, hopefully. Nothing like that happens. But, you know, when you look at Gary Sanchez overall, he's just better than what I think anyone could have hoped for in a lot of ways. I've mentioned before the average stat line. For off catchers offensively is a 236 average, 303 on base percentage, 390 slugging, 89 WRC plus. Uh, Gary Sanchez has been very much above that um, for the Padres, and he's just like it's incredible actually how good he's been. He's currently rocking a 117 WRC plus for the Padres. So that compared to 89, which is league average, he's been tremendous. The big part of it is that he's slugging like crazy. His batting average and on base skills are still not very good something that has declined basically every year of his career since 2017, uh, his last like great, great season. Um, I think it was his second season with the Yankees. Um, and he, I mean, he was incredible when he was at the Yankees. He had a 131 WRC plus at one point. Like He was great. Um, but then the defense took its toll on him, and he bounced back to being average. But even still, like last year, I just mentioned 89 is a league average um, WRC plus for catches this year. This year he's got 117, and the defense behind the plate has been okay. It hasn't been hurting them, and I think that even when you look back in the at, back in the day at some of his previous you know ten years with you know the the, the Twins um, and and other organizations. Who else was he with? He was with the Mets for like a day, but you get my point that. Gary Sanchez, he's just not that bad behind the plate. And I think that he deserves so much credit for the fact that ever since they brought him in, Snell caught fire. And I think that Snell was going to potentially get better regardless. But it's pretty cool. He's in the 46th percentile of pitch framing. Not the best in the world, but he's not really allowing that many pass balls. So that's really great. His pop time is good. Again, he's really, really good. Like, this is, has been one of the more incredible waiver wire pickups. And dare I say, dare I say, I don't want to, I think that he's in his own tier. The Alfaro goat. All right. Jorge Alfaro, we miss him. But Jorge Alfaro, in a lot of ways, was like carried by the fact that he had like five game winning hits last year. You know what I'm saying? Gary Sanchez has just been so unbelievable. And what's even more unbelievable about Gary Sanchez is he's played 56 games for the Padres and already has 37 RBIs. Do you know how many Xander Bogarts has? Who has been hitting at the top, maybe third, fourth for most of the season? Xander Bogarts has 37 RBIs. In 106 games for the Padres. Again, 
I don't know what happened with this free agent class. By the way, Padres fans, remember, it's not just us. Trey Turner was hitting eighth for the Phillies the other day. Javier Baez can't swing at any pitch that's actually in the zone. He has to chase everything. He's been bad. Um, Who's the other one? There's probably another. Carlos Correa has been horrid. And then there's all sorts of horrid free agents. We talked about this on the show before. It's not exclusive to the Padres. It's just insane. It's like the sport of baseball is punishing teams as I knock over Tatis for trying. That's what it feels like in a lot of ways. Um, But yeah, just pretty nuts stuff. And Jake Cronenworth getting a home run. Uh, He actually has a pretty decent series um, in each game. He goes, he gets at least one hit in each game, goes two for four in this one with an RBI and a home run. And then he went two for four in Saturday's game as well with an RBI. And then one for four uh, in Friday's game with a double and two runs scored. So nice kind of hitting stretch. For Jay Cronenworth, I don't know if this is anything. I think he might just be on a hot streak. It's been basically since July 29th that he's been kind of getting a hit every single game. So he's got a nice hit streak going. But I don't know if it means anything. He's just been so bad for a long time. He seems to struggle with um, pitches up and inside. I don't know if he needs to tinker his swing. Maybe that's something that will happen in the offseason. And I'm hoping. And he actually played a game at second base. Um, specifically Sunday's game. So that was really nice to see. And G-Man Choi man first. So that was really cool. I love that. Um, but that was likely because they put Manny Machado DH, which man Kim goes to third base, so etc. So I'm not expecting that for the majority of games, but even still, it was it was really cool to see. So shouts to Jay Cronenworth, you are sometimes very cool, very cool indeed. But you know what else is sometimes very cool, ladies and gentlemen? When we get a new ad sponsor for the show. Oh yeah, that's right, we got a new one today, guys. Dave, that's right, Dave. D-A-V-E, kind of like the Hulu show, is the banking app that's leveling the financial playing field. When you download Dave, you could get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra cash account. Advance the money you need with no interest and then settle up later. Look, man, here's the thing. Dave helps you out. At some point, we all need some financial help. We need some assistance. We need some guidance in this very tumultuous and Tribulation world. I can't speak. You know what I mean, though. Uh, really crazy stuff, and finances can make you go crazy, as you heard me just now go pretty insane, and they help you out. So go download Dave at dave.com slash MLB. That's dave.com slash MLB. You could get $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. It's really cool. Millions of people have already downloaded the app to make their finances easier. If you're in a pinch, go check that out. It helps you with managing everything. So Shouts to Dave and shouts to them for sponsoring this podcast. One more time, though, that is go to dave.com slash MLB and get up to $500 in five minutes or less when you download. Dave, for terms, visit dave.com slash legal. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast, recapping and laughing about this whole podcast. Really crazy stuff going on here. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I didn't really recap the game as much, but there wasn't much to recap. Like I said, uh, Padres unable to get enough offense and they just got hit really early. I've criticized the team a lot this year that whenever they're down, they seem like they give up in fairness, being down by six immediately is, is a lot for a lot of teams. But, uh, with, with this, um, team, it is a little bit disappointing though that Lance Lynn, um, just completely shuts down the team. Now I will say this is classic Dodgers. Again, I already mentioned with him as Rosario, the classic Dodgers here. Lance Lynn, who had a 6.47 ERA, I'm pretty sure, heading into, um, what's it called? Not this start, but heading into his first start with the Dodgers. have had two pretty solid starts. He strikes out a lot of guys. Um, he's just been giving up too many runs. So 
when I heard that the Dodgers acquired him, I was not like horrified, but I was like, this is interesting because there is objectively one thing that Lance Lynn is good at, and that's making people miss. So maybe they they know what to bring in. Maybe they know he has a strikeout stuff. Let's just lower the runs a little bit to a little bit more respectable count, and that's a guy that we can use and probably get for almost nothing, which they did. So again, classic Dodgers moves. But don't worry, folks, because we had ourselves a delight, a treat, an absolute majestic, dare I say, history repeating itself moment. On Saturday night with the Padres playing the Dodgers, they win this one 8-3. to three, And let me tell you, they were not winning this game for most of the um, most of the time. Will Smith getting a home run to start things off for the Dodgers against Blake Snell. His final line, by the way, five innings, um, three earned runs on four hits. He walked four, which was the bad thing, but struck out eight. As usual, Blake Snell struck out as many people as possible. Again, his big problem is the, is the free passes, but... Uh, a pretty good start, all things considered. It just started off rough for Snell with Will Smith taking him deep. And Will Smith, I guess, just hits really well against this guy. Um, I don't have numbers in front of me um, between batter matchups between Will Smith and Blake Snell. But you might remember a couple seasons ago when Blake Snell had like a, a, a near no-hitter going. Um, not, I don't know if it was a no-hitter, but he was going shut out through like seven innings. Um, I think Jay Stingler at the time decides to keep him in for some reason. And then it blows up in the Padres' face as he gives up the tying home run to Will Smith. Now, that was the fault of the offense, don't get me wrong. But maybe this guy just hits well against Blake Stell, so that's annoying. Kike Hernandez ends up getting a sack fly. Freddie Freeman drives in a run. And it's it's 3-1 at one point. Should mention, though, Manny Machado hits an absolute bomb in this game off of... Who was it that he hit it off of? Ryan Yarbrough. Absolute bomb for Manny Machado. Watched it go. Oh, it was glorious. It was glorious, glorious. Um... But the Padres are down 3-1, heading into, let's see here, the bottom of the eighth inning. And everyone remembers the playoffs last year. And this was basically exactly that. Now, there's a lot of different things that happen here, right? So Juan Soto gets a single. It's counted as a single. But Kike Hernandez messes up, trying to get the ball to first base um, and throws it away, allowing more runs to score, ha Sun Kim and Gary Sanchez specifically. And then Manny Machado rips an actual single. He's pumped up. You saw the pictures on uh, Padres' social media. He was pumped about that. Jake Cronenworth gets a single as well. He's pumped. And then Trent Grisham gets in on the fun. Eventually, in a seven-run eighth inning, it is easily... The best com- comeback win that the Padres have had in months. It's against their rival Dodgers. You can see and feel the electricity in the air. And it's kind of a reminder that, look, any Dodgers fans that tell you that it's not a rivalry, there, there's it's actually complicated. So on one hand, is it a rivalry in terms of accomplishments and like both teams having the same level of success? Not really. Not really. I will, however, say that the Dodgers don't have like infinitely more success than like every team in the league because I'm pretty sure like the Giants, like the Cardinals, like the Astros have won more World Series than them while I would wager that they are basically the Peyton Manning of MLB franchises which is Hall of Fame caliber. Like they are on an absolute tear and in a remarkable run winning this many division titles, being this consistently good every year. But they've also bloated in the postseason a lot. Um, And I think that sometimes the Dodgers fans get a little bit too high on themselves with those things. And as a result, you get the whole it's not a rivalry stuff. And I think that even if a rivalry is a nascent one, even if it's starting to sparkle recently because of the rise of the Padres in particular, it still counts. Um, And the biggest thing, the second part of this is, yeah, again, the Padres are outclassed by the Dodgers in a lot of ways. A lot of very important ways. Make no mistake about that. Um, Even if they only won in the truncated season, it's still winning. Um, I won championship. 
that the second thing to bring up is you can tell. You can feel the energy when these two play, particularly at Petco Park, in my experience anyway. Uh, I, know, I know the Dodgers fans are passionate as well, but the, the games at Petco are always nuts, especially when the Padres play well. Um, and you can just feel it. You can see Machado celebrating. You can see Cronenworth. You can see Kim. You can hear the announcers. And, and here comes Kim as well. Like, you hear all of that. So my response to that is about the rivalry thing is it's clearly there. I talked with Jeff Snyder of Lockdown Dodgers about this, where it was like the Giants and Dodgers, that's rivalry in terms of excellence and who has the most accomplishments. Those two have done so much the last 15, you know, 10, 15 years in baseball. But with the Padres and Dodgers, you feel the energy. When the Giants and Dodgers play each other, you don't get the like, you just don't get the same like energy, I don't think. And I think you saw that on Saturday night. Like, yeah, it's still alive. These guys really care um, about playing this team. You can tell. You can tell last year that they really cared. Um, and it's awesome. And, and you love to see it. It's great for the sport when these two teams, I think, can play at this level. And they've just been, you know, it's been a little bit hit or miss sometimes. Uh, you either get an iconic kind of moment game like this where the Padres make a crazy comeback, or you unfortunately get what you had on Sunday. And I'm not just saying this because the Padres lost, but it's like, you know, six runs in the first couple innings. You kind of ended at that. It's just not a classic type of game or anything like that. But um, look, I loved it. Uh, Nick Martinez comes into this game. The Padres bullpen in general, very, very good. Steven Wilson, Nick Martinez, um, and Ray Kerr kind of uh, close out the game uh, for the pods. It was really great. Um, yes, they got pretty lucky with the Kike Hernandez weird throw. I don't know if he was going to get Soto at first anyway, but the weird throw did obviously give us some extra runs, which was absolutely electric, and I loved it. Um, just really great stuff. Two for four day for Manny. He gets three ribbies as well. Um, two for four, like I said, from Cronenworth. Kim goes one for four with a walk. Tatis doesn't get a hit in here. Doesn't really do much. He's, look, the thing about Tatis is that he's streaky. Um, and I think that some people have been asking me and some people are wondering, like, what's going on with Tatis? And I think the best way to explain is just that he's pressing, that he's super aggressive at the plate, and he's been just walking at an insignificantly lower rate. He's, at, he's in, like, the fourth percentile in walk rate this year. Last time in 2021, his MVP season, he was in, like, the 80 percentile, right? Like, he was able to draw walks. And he, don't get me wrong, he's an aggressive player. Even at his best, he chased a lot. Right? Like, let me be very clear. He did chase a lot. But it's gone up this year. 41st percentile in chase rate in 2021 and 22nd percentile this year. Uh, this year, I was wrong about the walk rate, right? But he was in 37th percentile walk rate. While previous years, 81st percentile in his top three MVP season. So he's still hitting the ball hard. So that's the best, like, sign, right? That he's still hitting the ball well. And he's not striking out at a rate that's completely unsustainable it's just that he's not seeing enough pitches and he's not getting enough walks he's not being patient he swings at some pitches that you just can't do much with and because he's so talented sometimes they go through the infield or he can hit them right but again I just think that the only thing about Tatis you got to know is where he's currently standing he's just a little streaky um, I'm hoping that he's entering the good phase because I believe he does hit a home run this weekend he hits one on Friday specifically doesn't does he hold on give me one second did he hit? he did it Okay, so I think I'm thinking of Thursday, but you get my point. I'm hoping that he can kind of, you know, catch fire soon because that's what the Padres need for him to go on another tear. Um, but again, hey, I remember the offseason. I warned y'all this is, I thought that Fangraphs article was totally valid. I thought that it was absurd for Padres fans to be attacking the poor writer who wrote it. This year, he's got a 118 WRC+. Plus. 
Uh, he's still got a good F4, 3.4. He's going to finish in like the top 20 probably. But a lot of that is because of his defense. And that's a splendid, splendid surprise. He has a career WRC plus of 144. Uh, every season before this year, above 150. So again, he's having a down season. But I wouldn't freak out. I would not freak out. He's still hitting the ball very hard. He's still slow. He's got 19 home runs. He's got 17 stolen bases. He's going to be fine. It's just that for this first year, taking him a little bit more time to get fully there at the plate. Taking a little bit more time. But hey, it's it's okay. It's okay, ladies and gentlemen. It's all right. We're, we are good here. You know why? Because um, Tatis is super talented, and we, we love having him on the team, even when he's not necessarily hitting on all cylinders. <sighs> but speaking of not hitting on all cylinders, ladies and gentlemen, we got to talk about Friday's game, where I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant. Just a little bit of a rant as a treat for you guys, because I haven't done this in a while, and it's because it is the player that I hate most in baseball. And it is not anyone on the Astros. Uh, it's somewhat has something to do with the Astros, but it is not someone on the Astros, not someone on the Dodgers. It is Joe Kelly and his antics on Friday that maybe I've been reading a little bit too much into, but I really can't stand him, and I'm in the mood to go on a rant before we talk about Joe Musgrove. But before we do that, ladies and gentlemen, before we do that, let me take a quick second, all seriousness, to talk to you about better help, folks. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everybody needs help. Uh, I, I don't care who you are. It's important to go get some mental, you know, sort of therapy for yourself. You can't always just, when you're dealing with so many decisions, with your career, with relationships, you have to take time for yourself and treating yourself and finding things that align with your values and can help you achieve your goals or achieve your peace of mind, whatever it is. And look, it's not easy, right? Like you can't just do this at the drop of the hat. I've had some mental issues as well last year. And let me tell you, going to therapy really helps a lot. Um, so go check that out for sure. Um, but let me tell you, BetterHelp, they're here to give you, um, well, some better help. There you go. Uh, so it's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, which is great. You don't want to have something that feels like a little bit of a, you know, it's overbearing or something that you have to like, like, you know, just constantly try to make room for. They can fit your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch them at any time for no additional charge. And don't feel bad about switching. Anybody who's thinking of doing this, I've switched therapists as well before. It's really just about finding the right match for you. Again, let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MLB today to get 10% off your first month. Remember, that's BetterHelp, spelled the usual way, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MLB. And everybody, we're talking right now. We're back. We're back. We're back. Uh, we're talking about Friday's game between the Dodgers and the Padres. Um, one that does not go the Padres way. Really, 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 really bad game uh, in a lot of ways. It's the first game, you know, against the Dodgers. Uh, they did have that incredible comeback. Um, it's just unfortunate that they were unable to start off on the right foot. They lose Friday's game 10 to 5. And what's crazy is you might be thinking, oh, God, did Darvish have another bad start again? He actually didn't. He was very, very solid in this game. And Darvish is going to need to be solid, especially with um, some of the injuries the Padres have had. And he was in this game. Seven innings, only five hits that amounted to two runs. Didn't walk anybody, which is nice. And four strikeouts over, let's see here, 82 pitches. Should Bob Melvin have kept him in the game? 
I mean, it's not it's not crazy, the idea of that, right? Like, it's not crazy, especially considering, you know, the Padres were up 3-1. Maybe you want to keep him in there. But I'm not totally against that because he was showing some signs of maybe getting hit a little bit. Um, the Padres score here because of a passed ball wild pitch when G-Man Choi was batting. And then Luis Campuzano, the hive, he also gets an RBI in this game. Trent Grisham gets a single. And everything's going all well and good until the top of the eighth inning. So literally a bizarro world version of Saturday's game where instead, I mean, literally the exact same thing. Exact same thing. We were up 3-1 against the Dodgers, and then the eighth inning is when they absolutely blow up. Obviously, no, I will say, not totally exact. Outman had scored and made it 3-2 heading into the eighth. But still, uh, Padres' bullpen just absolutely blowing up again. Um, this has been a common theme. But this time it was Robert Suarez, who heading into this game was rocking a 1.5 ERA. Um, I was talking about how he was worrying me a little bit because he wasn't getting any like strikeouts. Um, in fact, he only had two heading into this game over one, two, three, four, five, six, six innings. That's really bad. Uh, he wasn't striking guys out, and that's usually his thing. Like he throws gaps. There's a reason why they extended him so much. Um, he goes into this game, only gets two outs, allows five earned runs on three walks and two hits. Just an absolute disaster of an appearance for Robert Suarez. Uh, and it drove me nuts because it feels like there's always a new way, a new player that blows it in this bullpen of ours, absent Josh Hader, right? Like, it's just been really, really frustrating all year. And I've talked about it before. The Padres' bullpen, even when it was the third-best bullpen ERA in baseball, when you look at some other stats, like win probability added, and you look at high-leverage scenarios, during that time that they had a low ERA, their ERA spiked when they were in high-leverage or more impactful situations. So it shows you that the Padres' bullpen isn't the worst. Uh, it, there is still something to be said for if you're down by a lot, that they're able to keep the lead to a more manageable amount so you could potentially come back, and that's where the offense failing comes in. But... Let me tell you, uh, Padres' bullpen has been really rough to watch. And I mentioned Scott Barlow earlier. He comes into this game, gives up three and two-thirds of an inning. Felt like it didn't even matter at that point, you know what I mean, that he came in. But still worth bringing up that Cosgrove comes in. He's the only one that gets off kind of clean. And then Scott Barlow gets lit up. He now has an 11.57 ERA with the Padres because he either he went one and two-thirds and got three strikeouts, or he gets only two-thirds and gave up three runs. So... Really, really bad showing from the Padres' bullpen. And I believe it was, I forgot who it was that tweeted basically that um, you Darvish only needed 82 pitches to get the first 21 outs, and it took five relievers and like 60 pitches to get through the last seven. So that just shows you that the Padres' bullpen um, really blew it, um, and it's unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, there's kind of, <laughs> there is, I don't know exactly how you fix this, um, I just think that they don't have necessarily the talent. Um, Luis Garcia has been talked about a lot this year, but I think that this is just, this is a little bit something that doesn't have to do with roster building, in my opinion anyway. This is just the team not playing well. I don't think Tim Hill, Luis Garcia, Tom Cosgrove, Josh Hader, uh, Robert Suarez, and Drew Pomeranz, and uh, whoever else is, did I mention Cosgrove already? I don't think that having these, Nick Martinez is the other one. I just don't know if that's A.J. Peller's fault that those guys, with the exception of Hayter, all have gotten significantly worse in high-leverage situations. You know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong, Peller deserves a lot of criticism, but I just, it's hard for me to pin that all on him. You know what I mean? Especially when you see that they do well in not high-leverage situ high situations, right? Like, they don't get killed like some other bullpens in the league. But when they have a lead, man, this Padres team 
can really croak it sometimes. And it's really annoying because every time they have a lead, you're just like close runs. I mean, you need this team because this team hasn't been able to score much. You're hoping, all right, we got some superstars in the lineup. Just get us like four runs. If we have that much of a lead, we should be fine. But it's just not been the case. Um, again, uh, I think Tatis mentioned this when he was mic'd up um, yesterday's game. Mentioned, you know, we haven't been consistent. When the hitting fails, the pitching's supposed to pick it up. When the pitching fails, the hitting's supposed to pick it up. And that just hasn't happened. I thought that was really well said. Um, but hey, that's what happens. The Padres lose 10-5 to to start off this series. The comeback was nice and everything. But unfortunately, nothing happened. Now, I just want to talk really quickly about Joe Kelly. Um, on In Friday's game, there was a moment in which Joe Kelly kind of throws a little bit inside on Tatis and he drops the bat, which is what, something that he always does. I think he likes, wants to just, I don't know if that's just a, 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 a quirk of his, but he like drops the bat maybe because he doesn't want it to hit the bat or he's just so worried about his hands because that's a really bad place to get hit. So he drops that. And then the next pitch, Joe Kelly goes inside on him, very much inside, closer to his face. And then after that, he strikes him out and you can read uh, through lip reading that he says an effing, you know what, uh, the, the B word. I can't say this. We are a family friendly podcast, you know, B-I-T-C-H, um, you know, an effing B-I-T-C-H. Um, I hate this. I hate this. Um, and I've hated Joe Kelly for a long time because Joe Kelly to me is a reminder of why I think that the softest people that we have on this planet are men in general and then Major League Baseball pitchers. Um, I, soft isn't the right word, just the most cowardly. And it stays the same, men and, and baseball pitchers. Um, I've hated this guy for a long time. And I actually got into a little bit of a, a Twitter back and forth with my boy Carlos from San Diego, CBS 8 San Diego, on Twitter where he was basically like, I don't think he did it intentionally. I think he's just wild. And this is a common retort that I've gotten over the years because of my hate for... Um, for um, Joe Kelly is that, well, he's wild. Like, look at these photos of him destroying windows and blah, 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 by accident and whatnot. And, you know, I agree with that, Carla. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's a fair point. But I can't definitively say that Joe Kelly wasn't doing it on purpose because of his, his rap sheet, because of his resume. This is a guy that I've seen before throw at someone intentionally because they took a timeout that he felt was too late. Like the batter called time. A little bit too late for his liking. I predicted it. You can ask my one friend, Mike. I was sitting with him watching the game. I said, he's going to hit him next pitch and I watch. And he does. Um, he had the famous fight against the Yankees. He always is hitting guys who break some sort of unwritten rule or, in some cases, have been caught cheating uh, in the case of Fernando Tatis Jr. So that's why it's hard for me to believe that this wasn't intentional. Um, and he seems to have a vibe to him that, like, the ones who are weak are the ones who are scared that you almost hit him with a pitch. I got no love for the Astros. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got no love for the Astros. I get it. But I remember a couple years ago, um, so this is 2020, um, when he threw at Carlos Correa's head like three times or multiple times. I forgot how many times. And then he strikes him out. And then after the at-bat, Carlos is just like, you know, come on, man. And then, of course, the famous, you know, uh, smug little face meme is born. A hilarious picture, and I'd love to use it if it wasn't Joe Kelly. And I felt like an insane person at the time because my thing was like, Look, I'm not saying that the Astros didn't have something coming, especially because none of those players involved were suspended. I imagine there was union stuff, blah, blah, blah. We don't have to get into that. But they weren't suspended, bottom line. So, you know, what What did you think was going to happen? That being said, I just didn't like how everyone was loving Joe Kelly for that because 
You threw at his head, dude. And Carlos Correa, that season, now people don't pay attention to this stuff because that's how this works. Everyone just likes to latch on to the hate bandwagon. But Carlos Correa that year had been hit multiple times. And he didn't react any in any way. He just kind of took it. He was like, yeah, I mean, I hate these guys and we're going to prove them wrong. But also, like, I can't do much about this. And I just don't understand why Joe Kelly throwing at his head intentionally. And yes, I think it is intentional. I refuse to believe that a guy who only and very specifically that there's always these guys with cheating or unwritten rules, those are the people he just happens to lose control over. You're a major league baseball pitcher, guys. I'm pretty sure he is not accidentally multiple like five times that I can think of off the top of my head, losing control and intentionally hitting someone, losing control and throwing it away from the play, throwing it up middle or something like that, throwing it down. Okay. But you're telling me he loses control so much that he keeps accidentally hitting or getting close to hitting these guys and then reacts in a way where he's mocking them for being scared. I remember RIP rest in peace. Um, Jordano Ventura, former pitcher for the Royals, when he threw at Josh Donaldson, I think it was Josh Donaldson, intentionally at the head, and then he, you know, he's he was like making fun of him for being scared, and I was like, this is why. This is the second most cowardly species we have. You're throwing a baseball from 60 feet away, and you have all your teammates right behind you. In the case of Carlos Correa, you make that face when you're walking back to the dugout, your Dodgers dugout in this case. It is so easy. What am I going to do? Talk crap to deer as I shoot them from 100 miles away with a sniper rifle? Wow, yeah, that's real brave of me. You know what I mean? Defenseless animal. Congratulations. Weird analogy, but you get my point. And I just, I've hated this guy for a long time. And I really hate that people keep celebrating players like this just because it's people who quote unquote deserve it. And I've talked before about PEDs versus off-field stuff. I really, 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 really wish people would show this same energy for off-field bad matters of other players that they do. You don't want to do that? Fine. Then I wish that we just wouldn't do this in general. And unlike Carlos Correa, Tatis served a suspension. All right? What are you trying to prove here? So again, I really don't like that pitchers have always thought that they are so tough, so strong, because they could throw at guys from 60 feet away, and they have a bunch of teammates behind them anyway. That's whack. Now, there was a fight this weekend that wasn't cowardly. Both of them dropped their Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez. I imagine you guys have seen it. They squared up. Like, that wasn't no cheap shot or anything like that. I don't know what the reason for it happening was, but that's why, to me, uh, I just, I hate this. I hate this being in baseball, and someone's going to get hurt, and people have gotten hurt before. And it, I just, I will, I'm not saying that I know for sure Joe Kelly threw at him intentionally, but given his resume, given how he is, given the jerk picture that he often ends up acting like, I cannot definitively say that he wasn't throwing intentionally. And that's why I hate Joe Kelly. Because for so long, people praised this guy for the Astros thing, and because he, uh, whoever it was, Chad Curtis? No, I forgot the Yankees player that... Um, got into the fight with him, and I'm like, cool. So you can throw from that far away, and you have all your teammates behind you, and you, that makes you tough now? I've never understood why we think that this is cool for pitchers. I think it's cowardly, I think it's weak, and I think it's stupid. Um, and I remember Manny Machado getting hit back in the day with the Orioles by, I believe it was Chris Sale, and him saying, well, why? Wh but if I run up there with a bat, you know, that's the worst thing, but they can just take three pot shots at my, at my face. Like, wh what's going on here? How is that, like... And I'm like, yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm not saying someone gets hit in the back or whatever that I'm freaking out, especially if it's someone who, you know, in the case of Carlos Correa, that they cheat or whatever. But 
I still remember that. And I was very disappointed. People who see the world the same way I do, a lot of people, we, we all hate, you know, the same sort of baseball teams. We hate unwritten rules. Everyone was praising Joe Kelly uh, when he hit Carlos Correa or almost hit him like multiple times in the head. And I was like, guys, don't you think we maybe have our priorities a little bit out of whack? If we're rooting for this guy to get hit in his skull with like a 97 mile per hour fastball, really? Really, guys? And he's weak? Correa's the weak one? For being like, what the heck? Oh, but no, Joe Kelly's the tough one because he can make a smug, funny meme face as he walks back to the safety of his dugout. Okay, okay. So I've never liked that, and for that reason, it's why I would love nothing more than if Tatis took him deep somehow. I don't know if that'll happen, but uh, I just felt like I had to get that rant out of the way. Last thing we got to talk about, and I imagine people are going to be upset with me hating Joe Kelly, but whatever. Feel free to leave your comments. I'm probably not changing my mind on this. Correa, Yankees, Tatis... He's done this too many times, and I refuse to believe it's just a lack of control. Um, last thing I want to talk about is Joe Musgrove. Unfortunately, this is probably the biggest news overall of the weekend, and it's probably dumb that I saved it uh, to end the podcast, but what can I say? I am in a weird mood after this weekend. Um, not a bad mood, though. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. Uh, it, was, it was a good weekend. Shout out to the Ninja Turtles movie. It was good. Um, the hmm. this, is, this is really bad. Obviously, um, I do think that they aren't at like a DEFCON 4 when it comes to starting pitching, but due to some shoulder, what is it, shoulder inflammation, I believe. Let me just check really quickly. He's expected to be uh, sidelined for at least three weeks. He's being shut down um, because tests revealed right shoulder inflammation. I'm reading from Inside the Padres at Fan Nation. Um, after not selling Blake Snell or Josh Hader at the headline, the Padres were locked in at fighting for a wildcard spot and secured a spot in the postseason this year and securing a spot in the postseason this year general manager aj plower talked to the media today announcing the injury news but also with votes of confidence in the additions and returning arms coming to petco and quotes injuries are never easy but we do feel like with rich with michael waka coming back with nick martinez having some flexibility pedro vila stepping up and throwing well we've got some depth and we're going to use it um the the loss of joe musgrove means that trade deadline addition rich hill will be relied on to fill in the big shoes left by the 10-3, 3.05 ERA veteran. Um, whoo. Hmm. This is tough. And I think the next next line kind of sums up my feelings about Rich Hill, which is he's 43 years old and has pitched a lot of baseball and a lot of big games. If there was a player to rely on to eat innings and keep the Padres in every game, it is him. Um, I think that's true. Now, unfortunately, he did get lit up this weekend, right? But this injury hurts, but it is true. Getting Michael Walker back is going to be big. And I think the bigger thing to look into for this is whether or not you Darvish can have a strong finish to an otherwise pretty bad season um, for you Darvish. If he can have a strong finish, that would really make up for the lack of Musgrove. So at this point, Musgrove is basically a player that we have to look at as if you make the playoffs, you're in business because you'll have Waka, you have Snell, you have uh, um, what's what, it? You have Musgrove. That's when it gets really interesting. And then potentially Darvish, obviously. That's when it could get interesting. But for right now, it, I think that the Padres probably are looking at not having Joe Musgrove back for the rest of the regular season. Maybe they could have him in the postseason. But hey, look, and don't get me wrong. I'm trying to treat this. I'm not trying to treat this lightly. This stinks. Um, this is really bad. Musgrove has been a bit of an Iron Man um, in his own way, um, not Ripken level, but he's still been pretty consistent and pretty bit there for the whole the team the whole time. And it's a huge blow because he'd been on fire. Him and Snell both were a two-headed Hydra that had been murdering opposing batters for like a like a, a month and a, two months now, 
Like they've been incredible. So this is a really bad injury. And again, you know, it's, it, I think Musgrove deserves a lot of credit because this looked like it was a lost season, you know, getting hurt with the weight room incident to start things off. And now this, uh, it's really rough. So again, I'm just hoping that the Padres depth um, can hopefully help them out here. Um, it's going to be tough, though, because we've seen that they've gotten really mixed results from starting pitching. Rich Hill getting blown up. Um, I should say mixed results from their depth when it comes to starting pitching. Uh, Rich Hill getting blown up on Sunday. You saw hopefully Pedro Avila can be all right. Hopefully Nick Martinez can figure things out. Hopefully Rich Hill can just not be disastrous every time. But I wouldn't hold my breath. Um, this is one of those reasons why I thought, like, maybe the Padres should have considered selling. Um, but, hey, look, it's um, it's a really bad injury. And you just got to hope that the Padres hitting and the rest of the team comes through. You should not fall apart completely after losing Musgrove, um, at least in my, in my opinion. And even if they if they do and they aren't able to score, that's been the same thing with the team all year long. So you got to look at the offense. You got to look at other guys like A.J. Peller mentioned. Maybe they'll do some piggyback sort of starts with Avila. Maybe they'll use Martinez sometimes or whatever. Like It's going to be interesting to see what Melvin and company do. Uh, in regards to managing their starting pitching and pitching in general with the absence of Musgrove. But it is worth keeping in mind. I don't think you, like, remember that if if the Padres, like, fall apart because of this, that is, yes, like, a lot to do with Preller and management and not having enough, you know, guys that could come up and be successful. You know, Ryan Weathers didn't work. Adrian Morahone didn't work. Ryan Weathers just gave up, like, six runs for the Marlins uh, the other day. Like, that didn't work. Um but what you got to look at this is the offense really needs to step up. You got to pay to your back of your baseball cards. You need Xander Bogarts to step up. You need Cronenworth to step up. You need them to just be good, right? You need them to be better. And I think that there's optimism for that happening. Um, I still like the Cooper and G Man Choi acquisitions. I'm hoping to see more of that, more see more open to seeing more platoon matchups, which they haven't done yet with Cooper, you know, batting them against righty lefty. I'm hoping to see more of that. But this Musgrove injury really hurts, man. It really does, um, and I'm hoping that they can do a little bit better, <laughs> do a little bit better in that regard, especially when it comes to hitting, um, which is something the Padres have been really not so great at, given what their roster has. So hopefully they can do that, and hopefully they win today's game to at least even the series before, I believe, I forgot who the heck they play next, um, <laughs> before the Padres play their next game. Two games set against the Mariners, and then three games set against the Diamondbacks, then three against Orioles, four against Diamondbacks. It's a crazy, crazy week. Uh, next few weeks, I should say. Um, the Mariners are on fire. So again, this is it, guys. If you think the Pirates are going to make a run, it probably has to happen now. Um, or at least we have to see more of a sign of it happening now. But ladies and gentlemen, that's it. I talked a lot on today's episode by myself, too. Usually I, this the, the length of these pods are the length of time that I talk with Millard. But I guess I spoke a lot about Joe Kelly. What are you going to do? Hopefully you guys enjoyed all of that. Thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at Javipeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. And until next time, which I believe we're going to be talking with Aram Layton. Missed Friday's episode. My apologies about that. We're going to be talking about some prospect stuff. We got the crossover with Millard planned. Um, all sorts of good stuff. We'll be recapping tomorrow's game as well. Probably going to do Hassan Kim tribute, all sorts of good stuff. So don't worry. Until that next time, though, stay safe. And, of course, stay faithful. My Friday Faithful homies, take care.